Hello, hello, hello. Sammy here from the Gateway team. Just letting you know how much we all appreciate your love and support over the last few seasons of Gateway. And just letting you know that you can help us by heading to our newly established Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash gateway to anime. Every little bit helps and we really appreciate any love and support that you can find. You can also, of course, find us on all social media platforms if you search Gateway to Anime. And please go and check out our website at www.gatewaytoanime.com. If you have the time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, once again, such a massive help. Something feels like doesn't help, but helps us massively. So if you have the time, please do. Thanks again for your love and support. Ah, hello, 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 and welcome back to Gateway to Enemy. How are we all? What's going on? Charlie, how are you? I'm really good. Excited to be here with a very special reoccurring guest. That is correct. Gerald Lillywhite. Mate, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm back. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, of course. Man, one of our favorite guests. Always a pleasure. And this week, we are talking about probably all of ours, but definitely my favorite, not just anime favorite thing of all time and that is of course full metal alchemist brotherhood now i have talked about this on the show once before i had a bit of a uh, a rant during our netflix walkthrough however we haven't actually drilled down into this show which could widely be considered the ultimate gateway of them all in many ways because it is something you can throw at anybody and I think they will like it. I don't think it's a great gateway. Really? I think it's one of the best shows, but I Mm. think that it takes a while to get into it for people who are not used to the anime medium. I think there's other shows that would be better gateways. I think Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is a better show the best show ever, Mm -hmm. I agree, but I think it's a hard gateway actually. Interesting. For for multiple reasons, but... Also, I can I say it's so funny. I, I mean, I wonder how many times you said this is my favorite thing ever. We had ReZero. <laughs> now we got, we had Attack on Titan. Now yeah. we got, so Sam, uh, which one is your favorite thing ever? Well, to be honest, it was up until very recently, it was a very close race between Attack on Titan and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. However, without spoiling anything, we will do an episode when Attack on Titan finishes up. But the ending, well, it's bad. So a little spoiler for everybody. I've, I've read the manga. And it's that's coming a up. fact, apparently. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is a, bad. Bicep. No, thing. I, anyway, I'm not spoiled yet. So I don't yeah. know. No, I'm not going to spoil for anybody. I'm not going to talk about it now. It's another podcast, which will happen later next season. So I'm glad everyone's day has been ruined because I was <laughs> I was sitting at my desk minding my own business and the phone rings. And I'm like, Sam Devonport, what a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Attack on Titan is ruined. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> You were devastated. I, well, you were like, how could he do this to us? You honestly, were actually so personally attacked. Well, half the fandom was. There's another podcast. But yes, you know, sometimes when you love something so much, that's what leads to hate. You know, love has a bit of hate mixed in, you know, sometimes. Well, they're not the opposites of each other, you know. Well, I think sometimes, you know, for you to truly hate something, you must love it first. That's what I think. And, and <laughs> what I'd say is that it's a, it's a handy seg, kind of what differentiates Full Metal from some of the others that are flirting with that greatest of all time badge. This one really does stick the ending. This one yes, sticks the landing it does. better than yeah, pretty much anything else. The whole thing is pretty extraordinary. But for those of you who haven't seen or even heard of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and for those of you who have, we're just going to talk a lot about why we think it's so special. But to start it off, Gerald, why don't you give us a synopsis of what is 
Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood about? Take it away, please. Love to. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is the second adaptation of the original Full Metal Alchemist manga, which was written by Hiromu Arakawa. And the story follows two young alchemists, Edward and Alphonse Elric. When their mother passes away, the boys attempt to bring her back to life by performing human transmutation, a forbidden technique in alchemy. The two boys pay a terrible price for their actions. Edward loses his leg and Alphonse loses his whole physical body. Luckily, Edward is at least able to transplant Alphonse's soul into a suit of armour by giving up his own arm, making them a mangled metal pair. And this story follows the boys in their journey to acquire a philosopher's stone, which would bypass the limitations of alchemy and allow Alphonse to get his body back. And to do this, Ed allows himself to be conscripted as a state alchemist, a military agent for a seemingly benign authoritarian regime. Yes, indeed. That is the story of Full Metal Alchemist. And just to quickly, for anyone who doesn't know what alchemy is, this is a pseudoscience, which was once considered more of a hard science back in the 1800s, early 1900s. In fact, Sir Isaac Newton, obviously the father of gravity and calculus, actually spent more of his time studying alchemy than he did those two things, which is quite interesting. And imagine what he could have done if he put his mind elsewhere. But as we're talking about before, Gerald, at that point in time, like who knew which science was going to be founded or not, you know? So the major thing of alchemy in this story, as Gerald said, is the idea of equivalent exchange. So humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return of equal value. It's kind of a magic system the show, which is what's so cool about it, but there is a hard law. So you can't just do magic willy-nilly, but in Full Metal Alchemist, the Philosopher's Stone enables you to perform alchemy without doing an equivalent exchange. So it just becomes blatant magic. That's the power of the stone. And the big part of it is them trying to find that. But what the Philosopher's Stone actually did in, well, Western, more modern alchemy was it was meant to turn base metals into gold. And that was sort of what Sir Isaac Newton spent a lot of his time trying to do. But of course, turns out not a great science, but is a really good basis of a fantasy show. So that's kind of what it's about. It's funny that that's what the Philosopher's Stone actually did in that kind of historical aspect of looking at it because in my head it's all all about immortality in every medium I've ever seen it represented now in fantasy. Yes. Well, there is also there was also the elixir of life, which yeah. is something they all hunted for as well in alchemy. So that was another part of it, but it was a slightly separate thing to the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, but it seems, it seems interesting that like Harry Potter made Philosopher's Stone about eternal life. Yes, so it did, did this. Yeah. So, I mean, this doesn't. It's about oh, – it doesn't really actually in this one. Don't mm. worry. Disregard didn't say anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> so – as Gerald mentioned before, and I think we've mentioned on this podcast in various ways before, but as we're doing the show on Full Metal Alchemist, let's talk about it. There was an earlier version in 2003, mm. just entitled Full Metal Alchemist, which is also really fantastic, by the way, a great show. But the reason it's called Brotherhood, and Charlotte and I mentioned this a few times, when something gets the Brotherhood treatment, and this is why, is because back in 2003, the show was so popular as a manga that they adapted it, Studio Bones adapted it, and what happened was they caught up to the manga. And rather than stop, because it was they were a long way off finishing they just kind of made up their own ending. And Arakawa actually liaised with them on that, but they just kind of went off on their own. And it's still a great story, but it's very different to what the manga actually was. It's funny because actually a lot of it's about physics versus alchemy. Like yeah. it's all about parallel universes. It goes down yeah. that path of like, what if there was another parallel timeline where they, like it, which is our world essentially, which kind mm. of followed a physics law. Yeah. There was Hitler was in it. Like it was fucking weird. It was weird. It actually got real weird pretty quickly. Yeah, People did. made some choices and I did like that about it. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to love it until Brotherhood came out and I was like, oh, this is so much better. I, there's aspects, and I think we said this on the Netflix special too, there's aspects of Full Metal Alchemist, the original, that are better. It's yes. better paced at the start. Yeah, the start, they breeze through the start really fast in Brotherhood because they kind of made the assumption that people had already watched Full Metal Alchemist, so they sort of just go and bash through it. 
which is a bit of a problem because yeah, they actually take their time more in Full Metal Alchemist, and the beginning is 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 stronger actually. Totally, and the music's better too. Ooh. There's that song Brothers that's in Russian. Yes. Oh yeah. And I listen to it often when I'm feeling <laughs> sorry for myself, which is all the time. So um, no, but honestly, that's a beautiful song, and like. I can't recall the actual OST of Brotherhood. They're, they've got great banger openings and endings. They sure do. But I can't remember any of the actual, you know, like soundtrack music that's been composed for it. But yes. I can remember vividly Full Metal Alchemist the original. Interesting. No, I no. had to compare uh, the two versions through the metaphor of a soccer game. I'd call it Full Metal Brotherhood 10, the original like two. I just <laughs> see them as like so, for me, all of the charm of the original was that it like if you squint, it's almost brotherhood, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> also, with the, they also had the same, when they did Brotherhood, it was a big deal. They got all the same voice actors back to reprise their roles except for the kid playing Alphonse whose voice had broken. Correct. Sorry, babe. He <laughs> um, was like, Everybody strikes it. again. Yes, yes. I love the dub of Brotherhood. We will we'll really get here good. later. It's one of the best dubs ever. In yeah. fact, I think it's better. I think it's better. I disagree, but I do think it's probably the best dub out there. Or that and Cowboy Bebop. They're both really fantastic dubs. But yeah, it is a cracker. But let's talk a little bit about the author. And the author of this manga is a really interesting character. So, as Gerald said before, Hiromu Arakawa. Now, that's actually a pseudonym. She is a woman, and her name is actually Hiromi with an I. But she changed it to the U, which is the male version of the name, because she was writing shonen and back then, or even even now, but women weren't really considered to be able to write shonen because they were expected to write shoujo and josai. Well, she sure showed them. She sure as fuck showed them. But yeah, she has actually always written under the male pseudonym Hiramu or Hiramu. I'm not, you know, excuse my terrible Japanese pronunciation. But yeah, interesting fact. That's what she did. But let's get to how she got there. Born. May 8th, 1973, in Tokachi, Hokkaido, Arakawa was born and raised on a dairy farm with three elder sisters and a younger brother. Arakawa had dreamt of being a mangaka ever since she was little, and during her school years would often doodle on her school textbooks. After graduating high school, she took oil painting classes once a month for seven years while working on her family's farm. During this time, she also self-published manga with her friends and drew a small comic strip, which is called a Yonkoma, for a local racing magazine. She then moved to Tokyo in 1999 and she got her start in the manga world as an employee of Square Enix, which actually is uh, their own bones, where she was assistant to Hiroyuki Ito, author of Mahojin Guruguru. So her big break came with her work Stray Dog, which was published in Square Enix's monthly Shonen Ganga in late 1999. Won the 9th 20th Century Shonen Ganga Award. Again, she wrote it under that pseudonym, Hiromu. She began to write everything under that pseudonym again. You know what Stray Dog's about? I actually don't. I don't. No, I didn't um, Didn't actually end up going down that hole. But yeah, it was, a, it was a short story. It was only like a one volume thing. Yeah, cool. But yeah, she then followed that up with her first chapter of Full Metal Alchemist in Monthly Shonen Gangan again in July 2001. And the series ended up spanning 108 chapters with the final chapter published in July 2010. So she was actually involved in the early development of the Bones adaptation in 2003, like I mentioned before. And she actually showed Yashuhiro Irei who was the director, her plans for the ending for Brotherhood as the anime and manga were going to finish around the same time. So this is when they did the second version, Brotherhood, because uh, they actually ended it concurrently. So the manga and the anime basically ended at the same time, which is quite interesting. Attack on Titan, for example, they're going to have probably eight to nine months difference between the manga ending and the anime, but this pretty much ended together. So she had to t- tell Irei what was going to fucking happen. Coordinated quite heavily with the Bones adaptation, particularly in 2009. So many critics actually say that the manga is actually a bit darker 
and more emotional feel than the anime, which they believe is a lot of critics have said is slightly kiddie. And like, <laughs> it's, it's more of just a comparison thing because yes, it does give like the aesthetic can be quite kiddie, but as we'll talk about, this show is fucking intense and it hits you hard. Uh, really when you don't expect it. But she also cites Rumiko Takahashi, who wrote Inuyasha, as a major, major influence on her work. And yeah, written under that male pseudonym because as I said, she f- was worried she wouldn't be taken seriously in the shonen world. And a bit like J.K. Rowling, how she changed hers to be ambiguous so no one really knew what her name was. That was unfortunately the reason why she did it. And it's quite an interesting thing, actually, because there aren't really any photos of Arakawa that exist. There is a photo which everyone thinks is Arakawa, but it's actually Romy Pak, who is a very famous voice actor who voiced Ed. There's a very famous photo. If you Google Arakawa, you'll get a photo of a very attractive woman with a pen facing a side, like a sort of a profile shot facing the camera. And a lot of people think that's Arakawa. It's not. In fact, pretty much no photos of her exist. I think there's one back in 2004 at an awards ceremony when she's in a group, but she's very private. No one really knows much about her actual life apart from the fact that she has three kids and lives in rural Japan. Which is a tragedy because I want to know everything about this woman. <laughs> I know. I want her. She's like that Simpsons writer that everyone was, you know, who was the name of that mysterious Simpsons writer that's never in the photos and everyone, like, they claim that he was the one that wrote all the best jokes. Anyway, there's another figure like that. Do you have any idea how many kids have tried to track me down? Am I the first? Yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so here's a question. We've got this woman who has a very mysterious figure, mm-hmm. had to write under a pseudonym, has come into a very well-worn genre in yeah. the shonen space and just written one of the stories that seems to consistently stand above all the others. Yeah. What is it, Sam, that has pushed this one to the, the front of your mind? What are the components? It's a really good question. I mean, it's funny because typically a generalized thing in the manga industry is that women write characters and men write plot. Like that's kind of a, a really common generalization. Ugly. The thing, it is ugly, but the thing that stands up so well, I mean, the characters are, ex- <laughs> the breadth of characters and the ensemble characters of this show, I mean, we spoke about this earlier today. Every character in that show could have their, or every decent character in that show could have their own show. And there's like 20 of them. You know, it's maybe 30 really fantastic characters. So the ensemble characters, the ensemble show, bring it together. But the plot, the plot is so sophisticated. But at the same time, it comes back to a really simple thing. And that is, no matter how complicated it gets, and it gets very complicated, it references God. It's an existential piece. It references what it means to be human. But at the end of the day, It's really about two brothers trying to get their bodies back because they committed a cardinal sin through their arrogance and their ignorance. And at the end of the day, it's just about them trying to get their bodies back. And it's funny, I watched this with my girlfriend last year during lockdown. I was like, all right, now I can get you to watch this thing. And I'll never forget, like maybe five or six days into it and we were up up, up to around episode 10 and randomly we were like having breakfast or something and she just comes out and goes, I just just want them to get their bodies back (laughs) more than anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. To be fair, if I was Ed, I'd kind of want the, the automail arm. <laughs> I always thought that. I was like, he really doesn't have it as bad as Alphonse. Well, no, Alphonse is, well, again, big part of Alphonse is what is it to be human? Because as Gerald said in the synopsis, they commit the sin and then Ed sacrifices his arm to bond our soul to a large suit of armor. And you'd think that'd be pretty badass because he doesn't eat, doesn't sleep. He's pretty super strong because he's a giant suit of armor. 
But at the end of the day, it always comes back to that question of what does it mean to be human? And that is the big question that it interrogates, I think. And it's just so fascinating. Every character has their own want and need. The female characters are some of the strongest characters in anime in anything, actually. Like, it's phenomenal. Izumi Curtis, Major Armstrong, fucking Reza Hawkeye. You've got some absolutely phenomenal female characters. I just think it's so well balanced. The math, the story math of Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood is Next to flawless, in my opinion. Also, you've got with Ed, he's not necessarily just trying to get his arm and leg back. He's like, feels responsibility for being the older brother dragging his, like, his, his, his priority is Alphonse the whole time. So Correct. that does make sense. Absolutely. But I want an automel arm. <laughs> like, particularly one that I can transmute like he does. But that's pretty sick. It is pretty sick. It is pretty sick. But what do you think, Joe? Why do you think this stands above the rest of the shonen genre? All the things that you said, but yeah, for me, for me, it's the holistic way in which every bit of it goes together. Like mm. of all the great shonens, to me, this is the one that's the most clearly about something and you touched on it, yeah. you know, what it is to be human, what is the cost of a human. You know, we're talking about equivalent exchange where the wound at the heart of this story is trying to use alchemy to bring a person back to life. You mm. know, what is the equivalent exchange of a human life? Can you have one? And as from episode one to the final episode, Despite all the things that are happening, that is the through line. Yes. And it is that thematic, that controlling thematic informs every single character that has their own arc, every single beat. And so you feel in such safe hands. You know, sometimes mm. you watch an anime and you're like, this could go anywhere. And that's kind <laughs> yes. of fun. But this is just like watching something where no decision is accidental. Mm -hmm. Everything has been really thought out. And part of that is how strong a philosophical argument it makes around yes. that thematic and the sophistication with it should interrogates that philosophical thing, which I think with all good art, regardless of, you know, form, that tends to be something that's celebrated and probably doesn't get talked enough about in this context. But yeah, for me, like, it's also just the moments. This is yeah. a show that because of the characters are so strong, there are just parts of this show that will always stay with me. I don't know. What yeah. do you think, Charlie? Oh, 100%. There are moments in this show that I will never forget, even though I kind of want to. Some of them. <laughs> yeah. um, I think to me the reason it stands out, and you kind of both touched on this, but it's also like it's very easy with Shonen in particular to have, they always try and flesh out their villains, you know, mm. in a way where they're like, oh, but actually he's got this reason, but it's like pretty lazy. And as Jared <laughs> would say, you don't really feel in safe hands. Like I'm watching Naruto and I'm like, wow, like the main bad guy had a really stupid reason for being, you know what I mean? Like it's a whole thing where you kind of like, <laughs> yes. really? Like they're really clutching at straws. Tack it on. Every single character in the show is treated like they are. Like they're, they're completely treated with the respect and that you kind of follow a lot of the villains. Yeah. And you actually end up being kind of on their side sometimes. Or yeah. Like understanding how they got there, why they are that way. And like they're completely sympathetic. And I love that. That's my favorite thing in any medium is mm. to have really well fleshed out characters who have, really clear motives who are not just black and white evil. And some of these characters are meant to be the personification of the deadly sins. Yes. But they've all got, like, they're the most interesting characters. Mm. They could have made them, they kind of come across like stereotypical, like very much just like a living embodiment of that. But actually there's more to it. Yeah. And um, I also love how this world build is huge. Oh, As yeah. As was saying, you go suddenly you're talking about God, you're talking about creation, you're suddenly like, oh, here's a whole other country or like another world. But it still manages to wrap itself up so nicely and never loses sight of the relationship between the brothers, which is all that it really is about. Yes. So I fucking love this show. Could not recommend it more. And as you said, the female characters, I mean, I have to talk about the females, right? Um, <laughs> better tick that box. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Sam. One day I'll stop paying you about it. So, but I reckon, yeah, they're some of the strongest characters and even though the series is about two brothers two um, brothers i do think that 
the fact that they're like one of their main idols or like uh, teachers is a female. Like it's like there's no kind of gender. There's not really much. There's no yeah. fan service either, really. No, very little. It's Winry, great. Winry's great character. Great character. Great. Again, like has her own. Like, passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. Yeah. Like because again, all the female characters have their own thing going on. In fact, the strongest character in the whole show, and I don't mean physically, I just mean like the one with probably the strongest mental fortitude is Olivia Armstrong. Like she's uh. just wants to be the president essentially of the country and doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> like she don't give a fuck, man. Like, a brilliant character. Yeah, she's great. And also because sometimes when people write strong female characters, yes. they're like quite perfect in this weird way where they're mm. morally. Whereas like Olivia, yeah, she does some weird shit. She's like a power. She's just a character. Yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> just out to get hers and that's, yeah. that's fine. She's um, the best. Yeah. The other thing that I'd say, you know, in terms of thematic covering, you know, we've touched on some of these philosophical things about like what it is to to be a person, what is the, the weight of a human life. And another like lens through which some of this stuff is interrogated is the like levels of imperialism yes. that kind of flow through it. And, you know, thinking about anime more broadly, you don't see too many shows that are so open with talking about the cost of imperialism. Yeah. And this is a show where at a certain point you begin to question and you're positioned early to question, you know, just how right this side that the boys are on is and mm. there's this great historical context to this war mm-hmm. but that's touched all of the people in the military yes yes and one of the primary antagonists is you know in a lot of ways the vengeful product of this imperialism and yeah. like, and he has such a great three-dimensional arc as well scar so it, you know yeah. really goes to places that japanese popular culture kind of doesn't yeah 100 percent. and also i mean if you think about mustang and the whole military who are kind of meant to be positioned as when you first start they're the good guys that you're following they're actually you know war criminals who war have a horrific war like war who yeah. spend like and it's really yeah well yeah i'll just talk about that quickly that there's a, a section called the ishvalan conflict between a mistress so the country that the boys are members of the military of is called a mistress and about sort of 10 to 15 years before the start of the show, there was a terrible, terrible ethnic conflict in Ishval where basically Amestris slaughtered the living shit out of them. And a funny thing about that is that it's actually based on Hokkaido's Ainu people. And again, Hokkaido, for any of you who don't know, is the North Island of Japan and the capital is currently Sapporo and is slightly separate from the mainland. But they had the Native people there, the Ainu people, and this is, of course, where Arakawa is from. And the conflict dates back to the 14th century, where the Ainu people of Hokkaido fought with the Waiju people, which is the ethnic Japanese. And the Meiji Restoration forced the Ainus to assimilate and intermarry with the Japanese to prevent discrimination, but it was actually their way of erasing the Ainu heritage. So the Ainus were given Japanese names and were forced to abandon their language. So this is what that's actually kind of, and she has even said this in interviews and said, I just want to bring this up in a conversation. And you're right. It's pretty, and you know, you could even argue things that they did in Korea and in China, again, lots of historical imperialism. And it's a really fascinating thing that you're right. It doesn't get touched on much. I mean, like, Kogias kind of does it from the reverse side, but like it's, it's a little bit from the yeah, reverse and, side. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously the thing when you look at the aesthetic of the main city and mm. everything, you're like, oh, German. Like yeah, everyone's yeah, German yeah, World War World War One, World War Two, yeah. yeah. And, and it is meant to be set in a in a pseudo-Europe is, is Yeah. The, and then you've got, you know, the the North, which is clearly like Russia. It's, and it mm. also even follows like a geographical kind of then you've got China. Yes, the Jing, the, the Jing. Jing Empire. So yep. you do have like a yeah, very strong parallels there. Yeah, um, it's just, I mean, uh, it's just so fucking good, y'all. Like, <laughs> it's I don't know what else to. We're going to talk more, but I, I, just as a flashpoint, TLDR, 
go and watch this fucking show. It's just that fucking good. It really, it's like I've watched the original twice. I've watched Brotherhood three times, twice in sub, once in dub. And I'm going to watch it a fourth time because Gerald and I were watching random episodes today just to sort of catch ourselves back up again. And I think both of us just sitting there being like, got to watch it again, don't I? <laughs> like, yeah. Just got to do it. Oh, it's, it never, it's just that good. It never gets old. It never gets old. I think like if you're looking for, you know, for me what this, to me it's almost like elevated shonen. I, yeah, I, know, yeah. that it gets, I know that it gets listed with Naruto and One Piece, mm-hmm. but to me like they're just totally different beasts because it grounds a real emotional story but then also puts forward this very incredibly metaphysical place. Like to me it's got more in common with, you know, Neon Genesis in a lot of ways yeah. than it does with Naruto. Mm. But what makes this an even, I think, more successful in some ways kind of philosophical text is that it makes the cerebral emotional. You yes. know, like it's, yes. you're not being asked to engage with big ideas about the nature of existence. You're just being positioned to see a guy trying to get his brother's body back. And to do that, he has to interact with a manifestation of God called the truth, you know, <laughs> yes. and the way in which this central God figure is interacting with this push and pull competition between philosophy and science and science and religion. And as you said, Charlie, the way in which some of these enemies have been characterized to be like the manifestation of religions. You've got this protagonist who's all about science. I'm going to solve all my problems with science. And then you've got these uh, enemies that are the manifestations of these sins. It's just so its just so smart how it's put together from top to bottom. It's so, and, and the primary antagonist has stripped himself of what he believes is to be the base weaknesses of humanity, the seven deadly sins. Uh, and it's not spoiling anything, but that's essentially where it comes from. And again, it's like the, the folly and the arrogance and the hubris of trying not to be human. And again, I think that's just what it comes down to again is, is the nature of, of what it is to exist. It's- I love whenever I watch it, I always get continuously shocked by when you kind of forget that Alphonse, who's trapped in a fucking suit of armor, is a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And the amount yeah. of stuff that he goes through. And then when you have those moments where he, like, where you remember that he's a child and stuff, it's like really quite confronting because you forget. And that's the thing where you're kind of just like, you, because he's just a big suit of armor and it looks like it's really well done. So whenever he has any interactions, with his body, if he ever mm-hmm, does, mm-hmm. not spoiling anything here. It's just really confronting and you're right. It's about what does it mean to be human? Is it the body? Is it the soul? Is it all this yes. kind of like it's really, yeah. And it is dark. Like oh, the tonal of the, the show can be really dark. So to, to yes end what you're saying, Charlie, I mean one of the, the bits that really stuck with me is this little boy has had his soul bonded to a suit of armour. They're on a happy magical quest to get it back. But then, you know, you have your bad days. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, you've got their Alphonse there like questioning whether he is still a person because yeah. he doesn't have his body, which, you know, kind of speaks to the I think therefore I am yes. kind of yes. philosophy. But then also like am I a copy? Am I the original? Yeah. And you've just got these scenes of like an older brother who feels responsible for this folly that put them in this predicament kind of having to wrangle with this and it's it's intense and I think and I put this to you one of the wrinkles that does throw people is the way in which it uses comedy to kind of juxtapose some of this really dark stuff yeah 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 it's I mentioned it even in our comedy episode just just a few episodes back yeah it does run into that chibi style of thing where or the comedy pause where it'll break deliberately break the tension with this kind of moment of descends into the chibi drawing style which is the super small sort of you know heightens their emotional state and you know you know start yelling at each other and they do that quite a lot in this but this is one of the few times that I actually think it kind of works I mean it still it still does it is jarring even to me as someone who's so used to this and I think for newcomers it is the biggest hurdle 
to get over when you're watching it at first because you sort of if you aren't used to it, you're like, whoa, this is weird. You know, this is this is not what I'm used to. Does it happen only with the brothers? Do they the only ones that go to be format? Can I think it's Armstrong? With, yeah, true. Because I I feel like it actually reminds me of the fact that they're kids a lot. Yes, so sometimes yes. it kind of brings that innocence back into it. And if it was too hard hitting, too it kind of I don't think would have the same payoff. Well, something that Grace, my girlfriend, said she was like it was quite jarring for her at first, but then after a while she's like actually if it didn't have that. I don't know if I'd be able to watch it. It's too intense. You know, like it's, and especially it's like. Attack on Titan. Well, yeah, well, Attack on Titan <laughs> did away with all that. And just, it's like a, yeah, it's a masochistic exercise watching a lot of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, can I feel happy for a second, please? And so, yeah, I guess it's definitely a bold choice. And in fact, in the manga, it was even more so. She would have at the end these little tiny comics, which I mentioned before that she'd done with the racing magazine. But at the end of every comic, she would have a four panel pure joke thing, usually having one of the characters doing something that they had done in the chapter as a pure joke at the end. And like that was something that they included in the manga. And again, she even said, to us, she was like, look, it was for me to kind of when we finished this really intense story, just to break it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because so, yeah. it is hectic. We're saying it's like they're not asking the easy questions in this show. Oh, no. So to have that break and that juxtaposition often works. And similarly, I have a friend of mine is watching Made in Abyss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that kiddie style of drawing, that kind of thing. Mo style, yes. Is kind of weird to watch, but also it's one of those things that when anything bad does happen, it's actually more shocking. Yeah. So you're kind of taken, you're kind of lulled into a sense of false security with it a little yeah. bit. Well, yeah, Larisha, who we finished off season two when she was asked to go and watch this and she's someone who loves true crime and loves like serial killer stories and stuff, but she even found this a bit too much. She was wow. like, this was like, she was like, it was just so intense. Again, as we always said, anime goes big. You know what I mean? It deals with big ideas and none more so than this. And as a result, when it hits you with something, and again, because it's so steeped in character and you believe so much in the characters and, and you feel so drawn to them, that when you see the stuff happen in a cartoon, you're often just not used to it because you're like, well, well this is like proper drama stuff that I'm used to seeing used to seeing in prestige television. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. And so when you see it drawn in a cartoon, especially like when they've just been doing this like ah, kitty stuff and they're all, you know, jumping around with fans and stuff to this like, oh, that's the most intense thing I've ever seen. I'm weeping. What the fuck is happening? Like, I know it's sacrilege to, to ask for a Western TV adaptation of anime. If I may. <laughs> if I be careful what you wish for myself yes. here. I would love to see Full Metal Alchemist get a big budget adaptation. I know that there was an yeah. adaptation done in Japan. I actually yes. haven't seen it. Not great. But, you know, and part of that is this feeling that I have that this is as good as anything that HBO have made. And Agreed. I want more people to acknowledge that. Agreed. I mean, another thing that's interesting about this one, and you touched on it at the beginning, Sam, is that it, you know, whether it's a truly a gateway, but a lot of Western fans have gravitated towards this. What do you think it is that has made this one more accessible? You know, I think your point about the chibi stuff is totally right, Charlie. I struggled with that on my first watch too, but just broadly. Yeah, again, well, I just think 108 manga chapters, 64 episodes, right? Naruto asked you to watch 500 plus and grow up with him for 15 years. And I would gladly do it again. And I would gladly do that Anytime again, if I was to live my life over, that's the one thing I do consistently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But this is like you you get almost you feel like you've spent 15 years watching this fucking show, but you get it in 64 episodes, which is still a decent amount of time, and you know, 108 chapters. And again, it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. It's a tracked story, and it's quite clear she planned it out very meticulously. And it just executes itself brilliantly. It's like every choice she makes is pretty much the best choice that she could have made from a narrative perspective. 
and just doesn't overstay its welcome because it could have easily just been like, hey, this is super popular. Let's keep it running. That's what a lot of them do. And she didn't. She told a fully formed story beautifully and then walked away. And then what she followed up with was a show called Silver Spoon. And Silver Spoon appeared in the weekly Shonen Sunday from April 2011 to November 2019. And the story is set in a fictionalized agricultural high school in Hokkaido and depicts the daily life of Yugo Haichiken, a high school student from Sapporo who enrolled at school to escape from the demands of his strict father. It was an anime by A1, which aired for two seasons between July 2013 and March 2014. And it's actually a live action film, which was released by Toho in March 2014 as well. So as a result of making this like unbelievable sort of Harry Potter-esque world in which, you know, she executes fully. She's like, hey, how about a slice of life show set back in my old hometown in rural Hokkaido? And we'll just talk about how cool agriculture is. <laughs> Hiromi Arakawa, take a bow. You're a badass. Yeah, you're a girl a that can do both. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Everyone gets to record a second album. Now, whether it's as good or not, that's not that I seen. <laughs> I've heard it's good. I've heard it's yeah, really good. Too. Yeah. But I just, I just want Formula Alchemist. Yeah. Of course, we all want that. But we all want that. <laughs> That's all we want. Again, more. I, I think the a reason it would appeal to a lot of Western audiences as well is because a lot of the ideas explored, the seven deadly sins, they're all mm. big ideas that are actually recognisable in our own history. Things totally. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. because it is paralleling, you know, Nazism, I would say. Uh, racial mm-hmm. discrimination and war. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The ideas we're all pretty familiar with and pretty like, I think that that would appeal just as a, you get where, you get the allegories pretty pretty easily. Yes. So, yeah, that could be another reason. Also, yeah. it's just really good and people Should like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've gone on about these, uh, these fantastic characters. Who's your favourite character, Sam? Oh, Roy Mustang. Absolutely Ooh, Roy Mustang. Disillusioned patriot. Indeed, indeed. What are you fucking doing no, over there, I'm Sean? trying to think. Oh, <laughs> I thought you loved my Roy Mustang No, I love Roy, bitch. Roy Mustang. We all had Roy Mustang in mind and now we have now to do something else. Spalded. You asked me first. I was gonna oh, go no. in with it. I got mine. All right. Who is it, Charlie? Greed. Oh, that would have been my oh, other choice. Or Greed Lang, but no one knows that I'm in my life. No, Why oh. Greed? Mm, because it's a character, actually, weirdly enough. So the reason I like Greed so much is it's the biggest differentiation other than lust that is done in the original and Brotherhood. So the character of Greed mm. is completely different. Oh, yeah. So I like that the way they start. The basically, I just think of the character. It, he's just a lot of fun. He's impossibly cool, ridiculous character who is the embodiment of greed. Arguably the ugliest human emotion that exists. Yeah, you know? but actually pretty sick character that has a full, like I, I can't actually talk about it without giving away heat. Yeah. So I think I like, I find the character amusing. I find that it's interesting because they go on their own journey away from the other, they kind of like, they just, you know, they run by their own rules and, you know, they're quite unpredictable. The wayward child. Not that strong either, which is kind of interesting is this whole kind of like thing where they have to use their smarts and use other people. Mm. They want everything. I think it's an interesting embodiment. I also love Envy because Envy is a fascinating character. But honestly, if I have to pick, like, I think that Edward's my favourite character. What a protagonist. Mm. He's one of my favourite protagonists ever. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when he's yelling about being short, I still love him. <laughs> uh, I'm still all about the running joke where they're like, the full metal alchemist is here and they go and they try and shake Alphonse's hand. And he's like, <laughs> he goes, damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I love it. And I think that he's heartbreaking and amazing and flawed still. He's a kid as well. Yeah. He's got, I think he's a really interesting character. Even though he's like a prodigy, he still is at the end of the day a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Just holy carrying shit. carrying such trauma. Oh. Well, 
so much. All the characters, yeah, from that Ishvalan conflict as well. So many of the state alchemist characters, like Mustang, who I mentioned, another one, Armstrong, great character as well. Mace Hughes, another wonderful character, all carrying this horrible wound from even before the show even starts, which they're all kind of trying to repent yeah. for, you know. And it's just such. I think that Edward never kind of loses sight of his kid side either, though. Like he's kind of a bit emotionally stunted in some ways. Yeah. And I kind of well, like that, you know, when he has to do any romantic gesture, he's like fucking awful. And he's still yeah. like, he's not, like, he's a badass in one moment and then just total idiot the next. Like yes. he's, it's, I think it's consistently, he's a really consistently written character. He's a human. So, he's a human yeah. being. And what I, you know, what I, as much as I maybe tripped over some of those comedic elements at first, I think like with the benefit of time, it's such a good characterization technique because it characterizes, yeah, that as you say, Charlie, the childhood side of him, but also just the intimacy between brothers. You know, mm. it's just, if it's all about them going on a journey for each other, I think the show is very, you know, nimble in the way that they make you care about their dynamic because it is really sweet it's in beautiful. an effortless way. And it's interesting too because, as I said before, Arakawa grew up on a dairy farm with three sisters and a brother and they all worked the farm and had, you know, spent so much time doing that together. And there's even a wonderful quote here where she was saying, those who don't work don't get to eat. That was her parents' philosophy from being on the farm. And if you are lazy, you will only suffer hardships at the end. Our ancestors were the pioneers who came over to Hokkaido. Their stories were passed down by word, but they lived in accordance with the principle of equivalent trade and that's a quote directly from her i and see i get it yeah. <laughs> gerald who's your favorite character Ooh. is it equivalent exchange <laughs> well uh maybe like the weird god slash truth character. oh, oh yeah. man so this, i mean this isn't spoiling anything mm. but in this initial human transmutation gone wrong which is you know the the pulsing wound of the whole series as part of this terrible thing that's happening limbs are being lost alphonse is losing his entire body ed finds himself in front in this like white void behind him is this huge iron door and in front of him is kind of like his his mirror opposite except wide and abstract who introduces himself as truth or god or you or the world and essentially this character reoccurs throughout to play this role of, you know, figure that has given humanity power but is now judging how we use it. Mm. And in exchange for these offerings of, in this case, Alphonse's whole body, you know, he gives you glimpses into the secret of the truth. To me, it's just like that's that's right up, you know, that's, that's <laughs> everything I want from a show. It's like yes. a, a manifestation of God sending sending characters on a journey of humility. I'm into it, you know. <laughs> also, those are the moments, and we've talked about this, and I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, Sam and I love any, like, liminal space in anime. Oh, man. Like, we're, like, any kind of, like, <laughs> weird, like, I'm like, are you in a portal, like, in, inside your own, like, or are you, like, yeah, anything like that. Yeah. When you meet your dad who's a Hokage. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm here for it. Yeah, give me, give me a liminal space in anime where you must confront your own sense of self or demons. Will, I'm there, man. Will you allow me to nerd out for one one extra moment on of the course. relationship between this God-truth figure and, and Plato? Please. Hey. So there's this like, and these aren't entirely original thoughts, like there's a lot of, lot of threads on the internet all about this, but, you know, Plato had this notion that there's the world of appearances and the world of forms and that the world of appearances is like the world of men and women and is only a, reflect, a reflection of a more perfect world, whereas the world of forms is the world of gods. And so appearances didn't do much for Plato. 
you know, if all things decay or by their own nature, they're temporary and subjective. So how can we know what can be real? And, you know, in today's society, everyone's, you know, materialistic. And so you're judged by what you've collected, but none of this brings you closer in Plato's eyes to truth or to knowledge. And so to him, the goal of men and women is to climb higher to knowledge, to truth and to God. And so he would kind of put this all in the same terms. And we see in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, this personification of God and truth is just so dope. And humans <laughs> who try to transfigure, get a glimpse into this other world, have to make this sacrifice. So people are climbing towards this truth. But again, the way that this place is characterized in the show, this home of all truth, there's no physical objects, there's no things. It's all kind of beyond human understanding. Nothing is the world of appearances. And so it's like a visual representation of this world of forms that Plato said God's resided in, you know. And so in a lot of ways, the characters are climbing like Plato's ladder towards this actual manifestation of his ideas. Absolutely. So, you know, any show that's like going back to classic <laughs> philosophy, I mean, that's it's hard to layer it in that sophisticated. It's real tough. And it's, yeah, it's it's such a such a wonderful examination of of that concept and it's abstract and that's why philosophy is so difficult to weave into shows especially when it's something you lean on as a sort of primary device but she just manages to weave it in so perfectly just sprinkles it in enough I actually getting too don't know how it. she did it like I keep on thinking about it and I'm kind of like how the fuck like it's so simple yet you know, like it, that. The thing is, like simple yet effective. Yet it's asking these huge questions, but it's done presented in a way that everything can tie up. And as you said, it really, really makes the sorry. It really lands the ending. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like I've thought about that question a lot, and and I and I think what it's so successful in is the way that it wields the three kind of stakes. You've, mm. of course, got the internal stakes, which are, oh, shit, we've lost our bodies, need to go on a journey to get them back. It's got the external stakes of this authoritarian regime, these, like, homunculi. It's got philosophical stakes of, like, that uh, she does such a good job characterizing through Ed, who represents science. Mm -hmm. They're after a philosopher's stone that is the manifestation of, you know, philosophy. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how it works. Mm -hmm. And then they've also got these other antagonists that represent religion. And so Ed's mm. this protagonist. So even though he has a conversation with God, he comes out of it and goes, no. The issue is that we don't know enough. Science can win mm -hmm. and goes. And so she does such a good job of kind of rooted in that emotional wound, putting him on a journey where he's trying to prove that science can do anything only to, you know, that just the journey's done so well. It's it's fantastic. And, of course, even that slight bit of postmodernism there where, like, you have your own truth as well that you're looking. Because, again, every time you go into the truth void, again, not spoiling anything, whoever is in that void, this entity of truth reflects you. Yeah. It's not like it, it changes for whoever is standing before it, which again, that postmodernism thing where like the truth is subjective to yourself. And it's just, it's, just, I mean, it's, we we're watching it today and we we're both like looking at each other, just like laughing sometimes, just being like, <laughs> it's just so fucking good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because you said before, I've been thinking of, since you said it, Gerald, that about like how it's funny that it's a shonen. So when you read it on a list, it's like with Naruto and Bleach and mm. blah, blah. And you're right. I do not, I do not believe that they're on the same tier. Like they're not even close. No. no. What do you think is close? Did you think Hunter Hunter is closer? I mean, I get you you'd put Attack on Titan before the ending up there with it as well, because I would always call them sort of shonen seinens. They're technically shonens, but they're kind of got seinen ideas. They're dealing with more adult ideas. They're dealing with something more than I just want to be the Hakage, you know, or I want to find the one piece. Or I want to be a soul reaper or something. No, I don't quite know what Ichigo wants, but um, <laughs> I, don't think Ty, I don't think Taikubo knew what Ichigo wanted. Actually, either, yeah, what, that, maybe Demon Slayer. Maybe it's just because I've watched it recently, but. Uh, 
Yeah, to, I mean, yeah, I know I what you it mean. Hard. It's pretty jujitsu. I mean, jujitsu kaisen's like trying to do something different, but again, it's also super tropey. Uh, but just like the idea, rooted it's not philosophically anything, yeah. rooted. Like, it's like Hunter Hunter's the closest. Berserk, maybe? It's like, not even in the same ballpark. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, trauma Berserk? And, you know, what are you talking about? What is it? it's not, Hunter well, Hunter is interesting. Yeah. Hunter as Hunter as a, as a is, is probably, yeah, because that's sort of like the ant, not anti-shonen, but it's like it's not safe, you know? It's, it goes, it, deal, it also it tricks you Hunter Hunter because it's like super aesthetically kitty. You know, like it looks, Gone is like a proper anime character, you know, like he looks about as anime kitties as you could possibly imagine. Imagine a live action trying to pull off God's outfit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't seen it, look up. Just look up the character designs. Anyone that cosplays Gone over the age of 12 should, needs to be arrested from conventions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not pulling it off. Well, it's so that just, and the Faye Valentine outfit that is impossible to pull off. Oh yeah, and Gone no. and Faye, the same, <laughs> yeah. same level of difficulty, That's like top a whole tier. Other episode, but, yeah. <laughs> but an interesting point though about Demon Slayer that you brought it up. Kayaharu Gatuge, who is the mangaka of Demon Slayer, identity completely unknown, uh, rumored to be a woman, but no confirmation of this, and no portrait of her or him or them exists. Doesn't no one knows who who Gatuge is? It's the same person. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. But um, also is the first mangaka to appear on the Time 100 list um, ever. So again, showing just how much manga and anime is starting to break into the West. But the Demon Slayer movie has just surpassed Spirited Away as the number one Japanese animated film of all time. And again, someone who just no one, no one even knows who they are. It's, and so there's quite a, quite a thing there with mangakas and being secretive and, and private. Again, uh, Siyumi Oba, Death Note, pseudonym. No one, again, again, no one knows the gender. No, People don't know who they the are. The Death Note. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Might have been found maybe recently. That's only come out. But again, like hard to find. Even Masamune Shiro, Ghost in the Shell, pen name. And very private. Right. Very hard to find um, photos. Mangaka's like treated like celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But again, they can hide behind editors and whatnot. So again, like it's um, Romy, Romy Pack is, is for every press event that happened for, for Metal Alchemist, Romy Pack represented Arakawa every time who is the voice of Ed, who's also, in fact, on our social media, you can watch Remy Pack, who is also the voice of Zoe Hanji in Attack on Titan, doing an amazing She's so rendition. good. She's, oh, she's such a good she's voice. She's Nana actor. as well. Nana as well, yeah. yeah oh, she's she's actually the best. Yeah. And also part, half Korean, speaks Korean fluently as well. Her mum's Korean and dad's half Japanese, half Korean. But yeah. Fun fact about Romy. <laughs> Fun fact about Romy Pack. Maybe the closest point of ref actually you have to leave the form and go to some of like the great kind of fantasy novels mm. to, to find a good analogue for Full Metal Alchemist. Like to me, it's all, you know, it's as good as Lord of the Rings you know, in terms of how it holistically builds itself up around a central thematic idea. I would say philosophically it's, it's actually far more sophisticated. Well, uh, Sam, you're going to lose all like the three <laughs> listeners we have. Tolkien, <laughs> Tolkien fans are there. They are something. Oh, look, the world isn't anywhere near, nearly as well fleshed out and hard built. It's not as hardly built, but I think she deals with much more, uh, much more complicated things than like ring is bad, put in volcano. Yeah, she, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but she's also a way more contemporary writer. You're dealing yeah, with yeah, someone yeah, who's yeah, dealing yeah. with ideas. Also, I don't think that that's what Lord of the Rings is about. The fact that you summed it as well, it's good is versus bad, evil. It, yeah, but there's a lot. Pretty like, basic. Yeah. But Sauron's there's greed, bad. the power of the ring, like can't be what it one. does to people. Yeah. yeah, I think that we could probably we could probably research that a little bit more before we just shit all over. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to get into a fight with Tolkien fans over yeah, this. So yeah. uh, disregard. I love Lord of the Rings. Haven't read it or watched it for a long time. So yeah, but Don't you know, at us about that. But you know, like both <laughs> both 
writers just had something very clear to say. Yes. And I think, you know, that's what it keeps coming back to for me. You yes. Know, that, is a, a form that you know a lot of stuff has things to say but sometimes more subtly than this but this is just like wears it on its sleeve and just sticks the landing 100 percent, and that's the thing it's so many shows and again i think honestly like we're going to do it within anime i mean yeah outside of anime you can talk harry potter you can talk lord of the rings you can talk those big sweeping worlds but i think within anime especially in a contemporary setting you put attack on titan in the same realm. Again, the big problem is without spoiling too much, does not stick the landing. And again, soured so many people. I think they're but, completely different. Yeah. I I disagree. And also Berserk. I can't believe you said Berserker. I'm never going to get over that. How like, did you not? Berserk. Think about it. Think about Trauma. On. Based in trauma. Based on a thing, that a betrayal and a mistake in which he made. And a super hardcore philosophical idea of what it means to be human. Of course it's similar. Yeah, it's similar in that way. But totally that's different tone execution. Of the show. That's what I mean. But we're talking I'm not talking about, about tone. I'm Have talking about story. We're talking about tone. Have you poured I'm one out for Karamira yet? On the show? Oh, yeah, we haven't actually. God, yeah, we have put it up on social media. But yes, the writer of Berserk, despite me and Charlotte yelling at each other about it, Berserk is fantastic. Berserk's amazing. Absolutely just... phenomenal piece. Much better manga. I mean, the original 1997 adaptation is a wonderful watch. For the anime, even the three films, Golden Egg, aren't bad. Bit of weird CGI, Berserk 2016, worst thing ever, don't touch it. Unfortunately, they ruined it. But the manga is widely regarded as one of the best dark fantasies in all literature, any any type. It's a beautiful, not beautiful, it's, it's fucked up, but it's an extraordinary piece of dark fantasy. And unfortunately, the manga car left us very suddenly and only at 54 oh. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, very, very oh, sad. Yeah. So may he rest in peace. But yes. Anyway, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. That is why we believe you should watch it. And if you have watched it, go and watch it again. I tell you, you'll find so many more new things. If you haven't watched it, turn off this podcast and go and watch episode one. By the way, pilot, not so great. He's a slightly weak pilot is another little- uh, Yep, that's <laughs> um, fair. Little, little bit of a, uh, a warning there. So it'd be like, we've just built it up and you watch the first episode, you're like, you stupid pricks. It's not this good. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that another reason why it's uh, not the best game uh, ever. Yeah, yes, it's a tough one there, but like- the emotional wound gets laid down pretty hard in episode two. Episode two is absolutely outstanding. But unfortunately, you couldn't get to episode two without having episode one. So watch three episodes back they in a row. They throw you in without much exposition, which I kind of like. They really throw you in and you're like, And you're like, what, what the fuck? And then it will be explained later because you kind of, which I, actually is rare for anime not to have a narrator being like, once upon a time, like <laughs> this happened and then blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I guess, Whoa. yeah. And I think what the pilot does do, and we haven't really spoken about this, is showcase how beautiful the animation is. Oh, because, oh yeah. Because as far as like, you know, alchemy as a superpower go, it, you know, they do a really good job of it. You oh, know? Bones, absolutely, uh, uh, at full flight. And it's a wonderful adaptation. So, yeah, yeah, well, Gerald, mate, thanks so much for coming back. No, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I I love hearing Gerald on, but I have to say that I've tried to get people to come on and they've told me that they're too scared to come on after hearing how articulate Gerald was. (laughs) (laughs) And they're kind of like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not coming on. And I'm like, this, I talk with Gerald. I do talk too. It's fine. There you go. You're highly. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And again, something that we all love. All three of us are just so big on this show. And if we can do anything, please, we want to share this thing that we love with you and you just go watch it. It's just that fucking good. Thank you so much, Gerald. Thank you, Charlie. We're going to keep debating about Berserk and enjoy. Catch you next time. Bye. (laughs)